Hey, this is Chris from After the Story. You're about to listen to our first episode on Ready Player One. Uh, I will go ahead and warn you, it is a little rough around the edges compared to some of our later episodes. This is before we even had mics or even really knew what the name was going to be. It's also a lot more synoptic, where we just kind of go through the story itself, rather than some of the discussion-based format that the later episodes are based on. If you're still cool with that, then by all means, dive in. Otherwise, you might want to wait for some of the later episodes. Hey, this is uh, After the Story Ends, where we talk about not just the story itself, but also the components, what makes it up, um, what it's supposed to mean. I'm Cameron, and this is Chris, and we're going to get started over here. Today we're going to be talking about Ready Player One, which is a big favorite of Chris and I, or Chris and me, you know? Maybe <laughs> we're reviewing books, we're not writing them at this point. Yeah. <laughs> well, I am, but that's we're still a ways away. Um... Yeah, I mean, we both read this back in high school uh, a number of years ago. Really enjoyed it then. Yeah. I've both read it multiple times since yeah. then. And I will say, as the years go on, definitely has gained a different perspective of it all, which I think yeah. really is a great you know starting point for this series. Um, but yeah, just for the start, you know, it's got all the 80s references. I mean, that's essentially what it's built on, which was kind of interesting because, you know, neither of us grew up in the 80s, but it was still something that we could really get with and get his excitement get the author's excitement out of it uh klein's excitement uh everything is dnd uh i think he kind of mentions it at the beginning and it runs throughout this is all entirely based on dnd rpgs how all that stuff's supposed to work which is interesting because that's we didn't even play dnd back then this is no. when we still really wanted to play dnd yeah. and so it's just a really cool reference point of it all because we've talked about playing D&D for so long at that point and we still hadn't it was just this another another example of why D&D was cool you know you had the Stranger Things coming out people everyone wanted to play D&D yeah. <laughs> or at least we wanted to play we it. wanted to play it it was all it's also kind of a follows the classic coming of age you know kid has to face trial boy meets girl all that kind of stuff wrapped into one starts off as you know the quintessential farm boy yeah yeah, <laughs> he yeah. doesn't have a lot going boy for him farm. he's poor it seems like the world is against him, and he slowly becomes, you know, the big hero. And that also, you know, he's really poor in this new dystopian world that he's living in. It talks about our world in the future and how it really goes off real-world event, not real-world events, but real-world ideas and what that could eventually lead to. And because of that, their world is in shambles, and now they all live in the Oasis, is what they call it, which is they're basically their virtual reality, their online world that everyone en ends up inhabiting because their real world is so bad. All right, so spoiler warning. You have been warned, everything from here on out, uh, we do. Yeah, so, spoiler warning, everything from here on out will actually include beats from the story, and if you don't want anything spoiled for you, stop and go read it. Or, if you want things spoiled and you just want to hear about it, <laughs> listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, so breakdown, we got the, uh, the tone, which is, you know, one of the most important kind of parts of the story, like what sets it up, what makes everything... Uh, the feeling of it. Well, do you want to go over the synopsis of the book real quick, just to give people an idea that, you know, haven't read it, but just want to hear about it? Oh, oh okay. So, so here, so breakdown, just to give you guys an idea of what we're working with here, the story is about a boy and this world in the future. Like I said, everything is really messed up. It's a dystopian future, and everyone kind of lives in this video game simulation. But when the creator of that video game simulation dies, he leaves a massive fortune to whoever can find his one, his big hidden Easter egg. And to do this, you have to end up finding three different keys that lead to three different gates. And so it's kind of his final homage to his gaming life and everything he's created and saying, now it's your turn, your adventure. 
can you like can you solve my final game? Yeah, and it's all very set up kind of arcade like and the RG, uh, RPG D and D elements, and also just this Oasis. It's you know the perfect video game kind of thing, like unlimited creativity. You can do whatever you want uh, if you you know have the money for it. Although once you kind of get going, it seems like the money can make itself. Um, yeah, I mean that's one of the best parts about this book is just how cool the Oasis is. Uh, and the unlimited possibilities of the Oasis, yeah. because it really is for everyone. It's not just, well, you like D&D, so you're going to love this. It's, do you like any type of media? Do you like this or that? Yeah, that's one thing, even though the whole story kind of revolves around the video game and the hunt and the 80s type stuff, he mentions kind of sprinkled throughout all these different things that you could also do, like all the TV entertainment type stuff that's there, these different like nightclubs kind of thing, which, you know, it's VR, so I guess going to a nightclub would still be enjoyable uh in that but because you know I, I can't imagine doing that now even with current vr tech it just seems like it'd be very strange um and i guess that goes into you know the breakdown of it that we were talking about in the tone is that because it's in the future and everything is so awful in the outside world everyone goes to the oasis because it has something for everyone and everyone's watching society fall apart in the real world but in their little virtual reality world everything is great they're they working in there. They, yeah, they can be whoever they want. Everyone's working there. They're enjoying their friends there. They're having a good time there. It allows you to separate the good from the bad, and you get to pick what you really want your life to be about. Yeah. Uh, and with that, like everything fall apart. They talk about you know energy crisis, and <laughs> in the beginning, it's just like, oh yeah, another city went up in a mushroom cloud. That's Monday kind of thing. Is like, wow, okay. Because that's that's just the the, the regular there. Yeah. Yeah, then also the other theme of, like, wonder, like we're talking about with the Oasis, like, there's a lot of different parts where he just goes in and describes all how all these creative things are, are made, and you're like, whoa, like, that is so cool, you know? Uh, and then all that's based around the adventure, too, of, like, trying to find these keys and these gates and uh, what it what everything they have to go do and all the places they explore is really cool. Um, so, yeah, we for characters, we have our main protagonist wade is in real life and parzival in the game um and we were kind of doing it where we split up the two characters because they are sort of supposed to be two different people it's not doesn't always quite have that yeah coincide but you one thing that is kind of cool especially with at least with wade is you see the difference between who he is in the real world and who he is in the uh in the game because like you, you can also end up seeing how his online persona eventually leads to him doing different things in his real life oh, yeah. because he's very you know shy to himself it seems in the real world but he's a lot more open gregarious in the game gregarious you know yeah. um <laughs> and eventually it leads him to doing a lot more courageous things in the real world that you would have never expected from somebody who was so he couldn't even like stand up to his uncle in his own house so yeah yeah his uncle and his what on uh, yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, like in Parzival, his character originally, like, he just kind of goes there for school. He can't really do anything else except, like, research. You know, watch TV and research, which, you know, that's essentially all he does because he only has one other friend, H, we'll get to in a second. So just very single-minded to the point where, like, you'd probably get, you know, a normal person would probably get tired of hanging out with this guy. Uh, the person that he enjoys the thing that he enjoys so much, that that's all he can ever talk about. Yeah. So if you can't get on the same wavelength as him that you're never going to be able to hang out with him. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of where we get to H, his only kind of purported real friend. Uh, and we definitely see that. They get along. Um, and what's really cool is kind of at the end of the book, it's revealed that uh, H, who in the game world is, you know, like, strong, 
white this, dude character. This big time. Uh, yeah, big time FPS player. player. Yeah. yeah, big yeah. time arena fighter. He's really good at all the FPS shooters. And so, like you were saying, at the end, it's revealed that he's actually not even a guy. Yeah. He's in all these things. He's you know this African American woman. Yeah. Who's traveling around the country in her um, RV. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just this lesbian black woman is really funny when you know later on they get all the files and Wade's like, oh, you got to be moving around. She's like, oh, don't worry, I got. I'm, I'm, I'm on wheels. I'm yeah, on wheels. I'm mobile. <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? Um, and so H, I found to be a lot more compelling character yeah. than Parzival because I think that both have their moments of. Well, Chris and I use the word gatekeeping, and that's a big part of the story that I feel like the story is trying to push this idea of that everyone should have liked the same things, but at times the characters are like, oh no, if you don't like it as much as I do, you can't like it. Yeah, and that's where that. H and Parzival can kind of be bothersome. But it's this understandable idea. That's just they're so passionate about it that they can't understand why other people are not the same way. Yeah, and they're just so committed to this this hunt that that's that's all they are. That's all they kind of have. So then the other member of the like main trio is uh, Artemis, um, who is very much kind of the like gamer girl next door caricature. Very uh, essential, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean. It, it, it's good that there's like a main character that is depicted as female in the game world because, um, you know, that's not something that's very considered common or considered like shown in uh, in regular gaming. Like it's a, you almost always considered when you hear like a gamer, you usually consider like a dude. And that's the big thing. I mean, you see that even like on Twitch nowadays that yeah. people are saying, you know, look at these girls. They're super good at these games too. And it's kind of just that idea of opening up that it's not like gaming is not just about these, you know, these certain guys. It can be anybody. It doesn't, you don't have to look any type of way. You don't have to be any type of way. So, uh, yeah, I mean, her whole thing, like her main character arc is she is super embarrassed of this birthmark over that like half of her face, which I guess if no one ever actually sees your real face, I can see how that's something that you just build up that anxiety over and over and over. Like if someone, like if anyone ever actually saw me, they'd you know freak out or whatever. But like that's that's kind of it. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything more because her character seems to stay the same. And I mean, even from the start when her and uh, Wade start to kind of become a more of an item, she kind of even then is kind of thinking maybe we should stay a little bit apart. I think we should focus on the quest because I mean, when they eventually they first meet, they kind of end up talking about what to do with the money if they win it. Yeah. And she's very kind of questioning of Wade because Wade's motives are much more, I hate this planet, I want to leave. And she's kind of thinking, well, we have to help these people. So I think she, I think she doesn't really have any faults in her character because of that her character is always supposed to be the good guy in situations. Yeah, she's kind of the moral foil for Wade and she kind of pushes him, which is kind of cool. If you remember in the first like dungeon area, Wade's whole thing is like, yeah, I'm going to build a spaceship, I'm going to get a bunch of doctors and stuff, have my own standalone oasis, and we're just going to get out of here and hopefully find another planet and she was like wow well okay again uh, back to that bleak to... tone that... yeah she's like well i'm gonna try to actually save the world uh but you don't ever really find any more reason than that in her yeah character, i would say it's kind of just that's why she's like that because she is that way yes yeah, so then you have the other two members of what ends up getting called the high five like because they're the first five people to score or get the first key uh daito shoto Oh my gosh, they are such the Japanese stereotype. It was really much. Yeah, honestly, yeah. I, I I don't know if it would have been, you know, if any like actual Japanese people were, would be offended by it or anything. I don't know. It just seemed like such a caricature. Uh, and I guess that's kind of what they were going for, right? Like everybody's a bit of a caricature. Well, it talked about, you know, when they met, they just bonded over reading manga and then their TV show that they put on, which is old samurai movies all the time. And their characters are based off samurais. 
and then their, even their names are based off old Japanese swords. And when one of them ends up, you know, dying eventually, Wade talks to him about it and goes, oh, do you think there's any chance he actually committed suicide? That could have been what happened, because that's what the news articles read. And he was like, he would never commit Sapuku. Uh, and it's like, did you really need to say that? Or are you just trying yeah. to be like, this character is Japanese, guys? So then, kind of, you know, the adults in the story, we only have, like, a couple real ones, to be honest. We have Nolan Sorrento, who I kind of think he's, you know, he's depicted as the main big bad, but he's kind of like Darth Vader. Like, he's he's there, but he's having the, the his, he's a puppet. Like, he's having his strings pulled by, you know, the invisible corporate, you know, faceless. I mean, that's proven even guy. more so when they have their first meeting with Wade. Yeah. And Wade's like, well, I'll join, but you need to be fired because you creep me out. And then he's like, oh, we can meet those demands. My, yeah. my superiors think that's great. And then, you know, it's shoved kind of back in his face. But essentially, yeah, he is, he's, he's not the real bad, but he's the bad you see. Yeah. He's very much like, he's in the book they even talk about when Wade's about to go meet him. He's like, yeah, I feel like I'm about to go uh, meet the devil. Because he's kind of shown like that. Like, he's shown to be, like, he was a good game designer. He's kind of like a cool dude. And then he just falls, you know, the fallen angel. He goes over to the IOI, the, you know, this, the major internet conglomerate corporation, whatever. And starts running their scavenger hunt, uh, egg hunter division. Uh, Oology, yeah. So then, kind of, you get to the people who made this all back in the day, and their whole story was actually really cool. It's very much, it's actually very, very much mirroring the D and D story, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, so the one who's like still around, you have Ogden Morrow, who's like the lovable grandpa, uh, kind of figure, and he like did his time. He had his time, you know, like, kind of in the game and figuring that all out. And it's definitely seen that he's kind of separated his life from that. Because they say he doesn't even show up that much in the Oasis. He's just there yeah. sometimes for his parties and all that. And you can definitely tell that he's gone on and been able to move on from everything. And yeah. that's kind of his big thing. Yeah, I mean, him moving on is definitely a big thing. His, like, arc. I mean, he so he was the main marketing guy. It's not like he did a ton of the coding. Um, but, you know, he and his wife, his wife was the main first art director. And... You know, they go on, they set it all up, and then she dies after the two of them were kind of, they left the main uh, Oasis, or the Gregarious Simulations. They, they kind of left that main group and started doing educational programs, which I thought was kind of cool, because, like, if everybody's living in the Oasis, you you got to teach your kids in there. Like, it's really cool that people actually, you know, they go and make that. It, that that's, you know, that'll eventually play into what we talk about when we talk about the world building, but it really... Everything makes sense in how they do it, because it would make sense that if the world was yeah. going to hell like this, that you would have to move, you know, classes online. It's a lot safer for kids and give them such access to such unlimited resources. And I think, again, like you were saying, they've, they've kind of moved on to their own thing. They're trying to help the world. And that's where, you know, our main, you know, the big guy who kind of created everything, Halliday, he, had, he wasn't able to, it seems like. And so yeah. you, the whole story kind of revolves around this idea of Halliday, you know, being just so obsessed with his ways that he couldn't get out of it. Yeah, and I think in the at one point when Wade's kind of talking through Halliday's stories, uh, says that he's got Asperger's, which uh, definitely would lead to that kind of obsession and like not not able to move on, which is kind of sad, but also sets up that ca his character really well, and his whole thing with you know he's kind of like doesn't have any friends that kind of thing growing up, and so Ogden invites him in with for their like D and D game with the the woman who eventually becomes his wife and 
he's only able to talk Halliday's only able to talk to her when he talks to the D&D character Lucasia and uh, just things like that and of course it's Halliday actually has a crush on her but she falls for Ogden and all all that like classic stuff love triangle yeah love triangle, triangle gone wrong and you just see that leads to yeah because it ends up Og and Halliday and once we get to the plot out. we can talk a lot more about how that story ends up impacting everything yeah and why yeah. that is really important yeah that mirrors sort of the D&D story where you have um Gygax and oh man I'm drawing a blank on the other guy yeah let's look it up real quick it was really big on the fact, you know, these duos, you have Gates and, um, it's always the second person. Yeah, oh my gosh. What's the guy's name? Can't be Elon Musk. <laughs> oh, Paul Allen. Bill Gates, Paul, Paul Allen. You have Jobs. And, well, let's... Uh, was it Jobs and Wozniak? No, Wozniak was with, um, Facebook, wasn't it? Or am I... Yeah, Steve jo- Wozniak took own Apple. So it was, it was Jobs and Wozniak, Gygax and... Well, okay, so... Cut. So we have all these. It kind of reflects a lot of these duos you see with a lot of these, uh, the you big know, tech companies, big tech the companies, big, yeah. that sort of thing. It's, especially in the Midwest, which is also the Midwest thing is very reflective D and D because that's where it started. Um, so with D and D, you have Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson, um, which I think kind of mirrors that. You know, Ogden Morrow kind of has that strange name like Gary Gygax, and you have Dave Arneson who, uh, very much. Kind of, I guess, sort of sounds like Halliday. I don't know if that's the exact relationship because I know Gary Gygax, like, I don't know, he kind of went nuts and did his own thing later on. But Dave Arneson was like a college kid. Gary wrote War Game Rules, and Arneson was actually the first one to sort of develop D and D. He had this kind of strange rule set. It was like, oh, what if we had individual characters? So Gary goes and plays with him and some of his friends and is like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So he takes Arneson's notes and actually gets them to make sense. And that's where, because uh, Arneson's like, stuff was kind of all over the place. So that's how kind of where D&D comes from. But yeah, then you have Jobs and Wozniak. Uh, fun fact, I think they started at Atari before they went to uh, Apple. Um, I know Jobs worked for Atari at one, early on. And then you have, uh, who was, it was Gates and who? Yeah. Just these duos of people that ended up working together. And then I think it's a good example, you know, you look at the Steve Jobs example of how he's like Halliday in the fact that he was so willing to push people away because he was so obsessed with what he was doing. And not to like fault him for that because it ends up creating so much incredible things, but also sometimes that ends up playing to the big theme of the story of how worth it, how, like, how far is it you can go without it affecting you emotionally. And also just kind of how one of them eventually kind of gets pushed out. So we yeah. go to the setting from there. Yeah, because the setting is the setting is like kind of a character on its own, which is which is especially true of this book, because uh, you just have this amazing world in the oasis. Uh, the oasis itself is probably the best part, just because like the raw creativity. Where even at the beginning, when he's stuck at school, he's talking about how you know you can teleport places and how they have. Uh, people can play sports on these special rigs and there's everything from like regular soccer or whatever to Quidditch, which, I mean, that just sounds so cool. Uh, and then, you know, kids who can go off world, they have like spaceships, you had TIE fighters, Millennium Falcons, like all this kind of stuff parked out there. The like, possibilities are basically endless. Yeah. Whatever you like, you can do in the Oasis. And that's what, that's what makes it so cool because like you just keep thinking there's more out there. Even if you're not, you know, super into these video games or this, you can go play sports. Or if you're not into sports, you can go, you know, 
Yeah, in the library. It doesn't matter. It just has everything. Yeah, and, you know, you go to, there's these different worlds where everything is kind of set apart uh, in all the different sectors and shaped like the Rubik's Cube. There's also, you know, there's technology zones and magic zones and then and null zones or, or zones where both work. And that's just really interesting in, like, your gear. You gotta, like, oh, okay, I gotta, I, you know, I can bring my laser gun here, but I gotta bring my uh, my sword over there. How that all works and the different, like, how there's different questing and also, like we were saying earlier, if you don't even if you're not even interested in the game part, you have all these like lifestyle options. Yeah, you have all these like club worlds dedicated like worlds dedicated clubs, and then at one point, you know, you have when Wade and Artemis are doing their sort of date thing, they go to I forget the name of the planet, but it was pretty funny. Uh, they go and perform in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is really that like that was really cool. Um, I think that, was it Planet, like, Transgender or something? I think it is that, yeah. Yeah, it was like, uh, uh, yeah, and that was really cool. I, I think that might have something to do with how Rocky Picture is. I don't know. Don't eat me alive about that. I've never actually seen it. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, I've always heard that kind of live experience is really, really cool. Oh, also, the another thing about the world, how uh, everything is... Or all the like game parts where you know at one point they go and do this, uh, Wade and Dido and Shoto go and do this like some sort of anime, not anime. It was like a they go through a classic Japanese yeah, uh, yeah, cartoon. Yeah, yeah. They go through uh, uh, Ultraman. Oh yeah, yeah, that's what it was. It was the Ultraman thing, and they go and you know it's super long, and they go through all these things. They get to play through the different characters, and then uh, at the end they get the ability to like become Ultraman and just all the things like that were so cool where it's not just you know you think of a game as you know you have your limited controls and that sort of thing but in there like no you can literally do anything because especially coming from kids you know grew up you know watching superheroes and yeah uh anime and cool tv shows like that just to see it played out and you could actually go do it anywhere and that's like part of the big lifestyle appeal of it it's just really cool how you have h in these deathmatch tournaments like you know you see it with twitch now like it's that same kind of that same kind of thing how she gets famous on that you have later on they kind of make this thing where people can make their own like kind of tv channels anybody can tune in or whatever and how they each have their own and start just showing these different uh shows and movies and stuff all the time we haven't even mentioned the video yeah the video game aspect of the idea of you know becoming the characters in these shows or the movies that you love so much yeah and that became such a big part of it and that Literally, whatever your favorite thing is, you can end up being the main character in that and experiencing the whole thing through that. Yeah, which, uh, especially with the movies, because that's part of the, the gates. Also, the different challenges and events, like, oh, man, those are so cool, and they all go into the setting, right? Because the first one, you know, it's on the school planet because he wanted somebody who was a student to find it. Uh, with it, the Tomb of Horrors, and he kind of finds it by thinking about to learn and how that kind of leads to the planet Ludus, like all the Latin stuff. And he finds the Tomb of Horrors, and the Tomb of Horrors like, is so cool, because it's one of the big first edition modules. For all you D&D nerds. All you D&D nerds. I've read through it, I haven't actually gotten a chance to run it, and it's terrifying. Like, it's so cool. I mean, you you know, you can get absolutely destroyed even in the first hallway, um, if, you're not, if you're not paying attention. 
And so from here, we're going to kind of transition. We can kind of, we're going to talk through the story and through that, talk about the parts we liked, how the characters kind of were impacted in their different scenarios and settings, and just see how it all kind of plays out. Yeah. So the beginning, in my opinion, is a lot slower than the rest of the book. Oh, but yeah. But it's not a, it's not a, like a slow burn. It's like a good burn because what you're seeing there is kind of like the buildup of it all. And I will say at points, because uh, again, you start off right at the bat and you kind of hear about how bad the world is. You kind of get the sense of like why people are going, are like for, straying to this video game. And then from there, you, oh, uh, we didn't even talk about the challenge. The challenge is the big first opening scene. Yeah. And you get to, basically the creator of the, um, the Oasis lays out the whole challenge and says, if you want my fortune, this is how you can find it. If you ever watched One Piece, it's exactly like it is. <laughs> it's exactly what happened. And so... You get that, and then you transition into, you know, this this kid talking about all, and him talking about, you know, I know all th- everything about this and everything about this. Not the most interesting, but as it goes along, you kind of get to see him use that in action. And when he's talking in the basement, and they're kind of going back and forth about, this is the best movie. You know, that's a terrible movie. I like this. It's just very reminiscent of, you know, you and your friends kind of, you know, talking smack about video games, or this show, or that show. So Yeah, I think he very much tried to pull all that in. But also, you very much get a feel of, like, the teen angst. At the beginning, when he's like, oh, man, I know everything, blah, 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 blah. Like, yeah, I thought that, I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but it was, I definitely got the feeling of, that was like the teen angst. But yeah, so there's this challenge, you know, the three keys, the three gates. Uh, If you've read the book, you're very well aware of that, because it's entirely based on that. Uh, And then there goes five years, and nobody finds anything. And he's sitting in his Latin class, and, you know, gets this breakthrough and it's just like sitting there like freaking out trying to trying to go do it um and yeah that first task to the tomb of horrors um if you know it from what i understand it's not actually that difficult but if you're like looking at the map because most of it's traps like there's not even too many monsters in it although i think there were some things that probably would have just wiped him out with how like supposedly low level he was although he does find some magic items as he goes through which is nice uh, and then at the end, um, you know, there's actually two levels to it, but instead of having to go through the whole second level, he just stops and deals with a Sararak in the, in the main room, which a Sararak is a lich. If you don't know what a lich is, it's like Voldemort, like, you know, someone who, uh, kind of puts their soul in a different item. So if their body is destroyed, they can still come back. I think, so Halliday's character, you know, the, his character is still in the game, is named Anorak, and I think... Personally, I think that is kind of a tie into a Sarah It's kind of showing that Halliday's kind of become a lich in the game. He's tied himself to the game, and yeah. now that he's dead, he still survives. Yeah, he's and still that's there. why this first challenge encompasses, you know, this great lich monster that you have to overcome because that's kind of what you're doing now. You're having to overcome a Halliday. And I think the I think the first finding the first key is really quintessential to the whole book and the idea of it just mixes everything together because you have he figures it out in Latin class so he figures out the clue using Latin and it's kind of this idea of using your knowledge of everything and then also the knowledge of just like basic knowledge and then you know gamer knowledge D and D knowledge all that coming together so you have the the riddle which he has to figure out which is using his knowledge and then he has to go into the tomb of horrors and kind of defeat that and end up playing joust against the lich yeah and so it's very much so you're expecting like this big fight and instead of a fight. He has to play a video game against the Lich. Yeah. Which is uh, such a cool... Because, like, you're yeah. ready for this, and then it's just like, we're going to play a video game. And it's just... it's And this old arcade game shows up, and if you don't know what Joust is, it's just the strangest... Like, if you haven't read the book, it's the strangest arcade game where, you you know, it's not, like, actual jousting. Uh, it's jousting on birds, and, you know, you, like, flap around the screen and, and, and that kind of thing. It's just... It's a pretty funny concept. But yeah, there's this whole thing too where he mentions, oh yeah, I feel like I'm playing Halliday, which I think so ties into the Lich 
idea. I'm that's a hill I, I will not die on, but get close to. So then he ends up beating it. Yeah. After you know, kind of thinking through it all, and that's when we find out that someone else has also found this tomb. Yeah, because Artemis shows up uh, like right before midnight, because her whole thing is you know at midnight the server clock resets so she can fight him or she can do, joust him twice. Uh, and apparently she's known about this for a while now, um, which I thought was kind of interesting because. Wade kind of talks about having, like, a cyber crush on her or whatever first, and then they meet. And that first interaction is like, okay. That's a, that's a much better interaction, especially coming off the fact that you only heard about her through him be, saying, I had this huge cyber crush on this girl, and every time she posts pictures, I save them, which is just that so was, weird. Yeah. And plays into the idea that we just think that sometimes Wade can just be creepy, and not always the best, I guess, role model or yeah. quintessential example, because, you know, you, you have your typical main character, you know, Luke Skywalker, Harry Potter, and they're, they're pretty, you know, picture-perfect most of the time. They make their mistakes, but they don't do anything that you would say, oh, that's that's just super weird. Yeah. But Wade, being, you know, his teen angst self, and Klein being the writer he is, is yeah. totally willing to say that he cyber-stalks this girl. And then she shows up, and their interaction isn't that awkward. He kind of plays it off pretty cool. He's like, oh, yeah. you're here? Like, I lost, but, like, your chance now. Like, it's cool the two of us found it. Yeah, she, he tries to deceive her. She kind of sees right through it, checks the scoreboard, realizes, oh, he beat it. Uh, and then he leaves her with a hint, which is just a very much, like, you know, the cyber crush thing. I doubt he would have done that otherwise. Uh, the hint was, like, switch sides because he was he, able to beat a Sarah because he normally plays he usually playing the left side. Yeah. Or player one. Player one, yeah. Um... And so then, you know, he jets he jets off after that because he knows what the... He gets the key. He knows what the gate is. Um, it has to do with this game, Dungeons of Daggerath. So he, like, jets off to uh, the planet that has, like, hundred, like a hundred-something rebuilds of Halliday's old home, which just sounds so strange, or his old town. So they go... He, he goes there, plays through this Dungeons of Daggerath game, uh... I kind of got a kick out of that because I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan and the the naming convention. Anyway, um, he plays through that, and then the gate opens. The, yeah, the gate opens and it's uh, war games, and he goes through and actually gets to play through war games as the character, which is really cool if you think about it. Like that, that would be a fun way to to go through a movie you really like, um, and that's another instance of just all this creativity he's poured into. Putting, putting together and this as stuff. a geek, you know, like, you have those movies where you just, every day you can quote them, you yeah, know? Yeah. You say dumb things all the time, you say, what do you see with your elvish eyes? Yeah, You're making yeah. all these comments, and the people that, uh, we have friends that you can't watch a movie with them without them, you know, quoting every other line that the people are saying, and it just speaks such volumes to that idea, and just him, like, definitely Klein writing this and saying, you know what I could definitely do? I could definitely, you know, yeah. play through this movie. Yeah, that's how I am with Lord of the Rings. I could, I could do that. Yeah, that was just really neat. So then he gets uh, he gets the next key, but he doesn't really know what it means, and he's like, okay, I'm finally going to go to bed. Well, he gets the clue. He gets the, he clue. gets the clue. He gets the clue for the next one. And he wakes up, and he's got, like, all these messages, uh, which uh, it was really cool, like, the kind of instant celebrity kind of thing. We especially see that now. I mean, you have these TikTok videos that go viral, like the dude skateboarding with the juice and the, um, the song playing in the background, and then everybody starts getting that song again. Uh, uh, you know, it's just that instant celebrity. He's like, oh my gosh, like, what do I do? Um, and then he gets... And with that comes... Yeah, comes notoriety, guy. because there's the IOI, the people with the Oology division, where they're trying to take over the Oasis. Uh, well, they, they're trying to win to get 
to get a hold of all of the GSS company in once order you, to run once the you win the competition, not only do you get his entire fortune, but also get complete and sole control of the Oasis. And with something like that, when everybody in the world is using something, it is all also not only is it a good thing, but it can also just be immediately used as a bad thing when it comes to monetization. Yeah. We see that today in YouTube and Twitch all the time. Yeah. And the problems with that. Yeah, and and they're one of the big internet providers, so it just like goes perfectly together for them. So he gets this offer from Sorrento, and at first he's like, oh, I'm not going to take it. But then he goes, because he just wants to know what they're saying. And he kind of gets the tour of the Death Star, like all it's these different very planets. Much like, yeah, yeah it, it's very much inside the Death Star from Star Wars. Like, you look around, you see there are just immense power, the, everything they have, and they make the offer. And that's kind of what we were talking about, where Wade's like, oh, yeah, I'll do this if they fire you. And, and really him just sticking it to him and just yeah. saying, like, you can't buy me. Yeah. It's like really saying, like, I'm not going to sell out to you corporate overlords. Yeah, but then they go, well, we know who you are, and we have a drone, like, looking at your house. We've got a bomb there. Uh, do this or else. And he kind of, he and when I first read it, I was like, okay, that makes sense. Like, at that point, you just tell him about the, the first gate, and then, or the first key, and then you get out of there. Like, you know, you can still move on, but the big thing is, like, they're going to bomb you. But then he goes, yeah, I don't think of any, re I can't think of any Real, reason, yeah, reason why they would let me live after I tell them. And I was like, oh, yep, that makes sense. So he just gets out of there, and... At first he thinks, oh, it was just a bluff. They didn't yeah. And then a couple seconds later, well, also we should mention that he would sneak out of his house every day into his little hideout. And yeah. So the place that he was actually staying, they thought he was there, because there's all these people in there, because he lives with... His family, or his aunt and his uncle and several other family members, and they think he's in there, but he's not, because he actually snuck out into his hideout. And so they end up blowing that up, and that kills off, you know, everyone that because they live in these things called stacks, because they're just stacking uh, trailer mobile homes, homes yeah, yeah, because it's just that's just the point they're at in their world. And I think we didn't mention that in the setting, but I think the stacks is also a very interesting idea, yeah, because it it seems so realistic to me, and I can totally see them going, well, what else are we gonna like? We have to build somewhere. Let's just go up, yeah, with trailer homes. So yeah. So those blow up, and he's like, whoa. So he has some of this money, so he goes and moves, um, and he kind of gets this old, like, hotel room that he ends up kind of throughout the story as he goes along, just, like, beefing it up into this ultimate... Uh, it kind of ends up, he describes it as a prison, but it's this ultimate sort of, like, gamer cave. He blacks out the windows with spray paint. He's got his huge rig that also has a treadmill. He's got these two full-on bodysuits so he can feel everything um that just, kind of as stuff. interactive as possible and just becoming as and, and also showing his like decline into like he doesn't even go into the real world at all anymore yeah now he's and this also this is also kind of our first time we get to see the big you know all our main characters interact because he has to he calls a meeting of the high five and he says we have to talk because i almost just died and i need y'all to be safe and so that's when they all come together and they meet in h's basement mm -hmm. and so he gets maybe uh shido and uh shoto and daito for the first time yeah and so it's kind of like the big interaction of like, well, what are we going to do about this guys? And they talk about, well, maybe we should kind of get together. And, um, you know, the two brothers, Shaito and Daito are kind of saying, no, we're not going to do that. Like, why would yeah. we team up with y'all? And so it kind of ends on a sour note with them, but you also finally get to, that's, you kind of got to see them all kind of interacting for the first time. And that's what also leads Wade and Artemis kind of starting to branch off on their own. Cause right after that then they is start when dating. they start talking. Also, we got to mention how they kind of got to that point. So, you know, Wade does it, then Artemis does it, and then uh, it doesn't take long for H to kind of figure it out, because he's like, this kid can't leave the planet. This kid is so broke that he has to stay on the, the, the school planet, so he knows there's only one place it can be. Yeah, and since the 
the first riddle had to do with the Tomb of Horrors. He was pretty easy to find out where the Tomb of Horror was, Horrors was on the planet. And then you have the, the sort of quote-unquote friend that they both kind of stuck to at first in the basement that uh, with their gatekeeping. Ends up saying, yeah, they're like roasting on. They're saying, because you're not, you're not a real gunter. Yeah. And he's the one that ends up saying, I, I'll tell everyone that you guys like are working together and what planet you guys stay on. Yeah, he's like, they're, they're on Ludus, like there's something on Ludus. So then Dido and Shoto do it. And then eventually IOI shows up and there's this like... If you think about it, it's really cool where you have all these, like, spaceships flying up over this, like, you know, nice school planet. And just everybody starts showing up there. And it's like a non-PVP world. So nobody can die, but you just have all these military forces square off because the, the clans show up. And they set up this force field and people are just launching, launching like, nukes at it. So all the school, they're like, screw it, we're going to move to a different planet kind of thing. Um, that kind of gives you the idea, uh, the sense of the world we're living in. Because this yeah. is a school planet and now you have these two... You have all these gunters, which they call the egg hunters, and you have IOI, which is the bad guys, all converging in one place. Yeah. And it just shows you, like, this is a school, but it doesn't matter, because it's the oasis, so anything can happen. Yeah. Uh, So then, with the basement, that's H's, like, special chat room, and the big thing is it is a perfect replication of Ogden Morrow's basement from back in the day, including, like, all the stuff he had in there, which is kind of wild. Uh, it just goes in to show their like their obsession. And during this meeting, this like uh, comic book or whatever gets knocked over, and you're like, "Oh, that was kind of weird." But it comes back later. Um. So yeah, so then there's this whole really cringy relationship between. It's like two chapters. Yeah, that really it, play out. It's really played out. And, and so the first is you get to see their text messages, which is that's the part that I find to be just I'm just. It's beyond cringe. It's more cringe. It's not even just like cringy because they're they're geeks. It's cringy because the way it's written. Yeah, uh, and this is where kind of we were talking about when we were planning this. Uh, like Klein doesn't necessarily write like the dialogue and the interactions super well. Like the first ones we get between Wade and Artemis, and then in the first time they're in the basement, like they're funny, they're kind of good. But then after that, it's they they kind of are not as good. Um, which you know it's fine. Everybody has their weak points, especially as a writer. Um, but that was a big thing where they, they go through all this stuff and it, they, especially with Wade, he kind of stops caring about the hunt while Artemis is still trying to do it. And then they have this big showdown at, uh, Ogden Moore's birthday. It's at this, and it's at one of the club places, but it's a PVP club and the club itself was really cool because it's like zero gravity in the middle. So you like jump off the walls and go in, but then all these, uh, all the IOI people start showing up and there's this huge shootout. Um, and that's kind of where they end up coming to the realization. It's this idea, like, they're, like, they're trying to, like, have a good time, and then they're in a talking, and this is where Wade professes his love. Yeah. And she's like, dude, we haven't even really met. And yeah, you don't know me. me. And, of course, they're interrupted by something, so they couldn't end up finishing their conversation. IOI shows up. They're defeated by Og, showing how all-powerful he really is. But then, she takes off, and she's basically just like, we're done. Like, yeah. I need to be focusing on the hunt, because that's what's actually important. Again, to say what we were saying earlier, she's really the foil to him, because he's kind of letting go of the, the quest, because he doesn't really... He, he's happy because he's finding things that, like, are giving him enjoyment that aren't just the hunt, and she knows that there's still a world out there to save. So again, yeah. just that emotional foil and that idea that, again, like I was saying, Artemis seems to be able to do no wrong. She's always right. She's always heading in the wrong direction. The moral good. Yeah. Uh, yeah in a large point she just kind of has that mentality too of like this is not the real world 
uh, there is a world, world out there, and if I want to actually help it, I have to win this kind of thing. Whereas Wade, he just gets so distracted by it, especially with her. He's just like, oh, like, I, I want to be with you kind of thing without remembering, you know, his larger task and, all, you know, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so then he gets kind of mopey, especially with his move, like where he moved. And he very embarrassingly, like, does this, these very embarrassing things trying to get back with her. And she turns him down. And uh, Again, Wade is not a role model. <laughs> no. Uh, and then she's actually the one, first one to find the second key after a long time. Uh, and they, the IOI has this thing where it kind of tells them where somebody is. So after she does it, they use it and they all start flying to the sector. But that's the thing is it's by sector. So they have no idea where she was in the sector, just that she, that's where she was. Because the sectors are broken up and there's millions of sectors. Well, no, there's, there's 16. Was it really? Because it's the Rubik's Cube and each like block is a sector. But well, then they're in sector 21. Um, oh, the... Maybe it's, yeah, well, it's... Can we get a fact check on that? Yeah. It's, the, oh, what, three cubed? So then it's definitely more than 16. I'm dumb. I mean, that sounds right. 27. 27, yeah. That's kind of funny you remember Sector 21. Anyway... I mean, I just read it. Oh, that's... I tried to go through the whole thing before we did this. So, so they all flood to that sector, and he goes to the first place he can think of, which is this kind of arcade world where all these different people built... The classic arcades because we have stuff, another riddle that talks about and in it they talk about you know the trophies and so he's trying to figure that out and on the arcade world is um a bunch of trophies and then a place uh, long neglected well that well that well, i'm talking about the, tro the trophies he was thinking of are holidays trophies that yeah. are only on this world yeah and this is where i think the book gets a lot more interesting again because like again i don't think the character interactions are always the best but i think the best part of the book is definitely the you know the, the, the pop culture and him trying to figure out all the clues. And that's always way more interesting to me than just hearing, you know, his love affair with Artemis and him just being really... Cringy. Yeah. And so he's trying to figure it out, and I think that's always cool. And then I think, again, like you were saying, so it ends up being in an arcade world, and what does he find there? He finds a Pac-Man machine, and it's what's really cool is it's in uh, Hallie's old, like, pizza parlor that he would go to. When he gets there, it's, like, unplugged. But there's a coin on the top, which is how people would reserve a machine. Uh, so he's like, oh, well, this is kind of strange, but, you know. And it was unplugged. And so yeah. he's like, this is kind of weird. And it, it goes to show, you know, like, again, he, he's kind of getting back into his passion for it all. Because he's not, because he could have just left. When he, he completely realized this was the wrong place. But he kind of wanted to check everything else out. Well, when he goes and tries to move the coin and it doesn't come off. So he, that kind of sets him off of like, there's, this is weird. Yeah, so he plugs it in, and then he goes into this whole thing about Halliday was one of the few people that actually beat Pac-Man because it's really hard. Well, not beat, but he got a perfect score. Perfect score. Because you end up, you end up, you get to a high score, and you can't go any past that. And just the big idea is kind of just he's he's realizing this is something. It may not be the exact thing I need, but this is definitely put here for a reason. And again, I think that plays into the idea that he's kind of back on his grind of it all, and he's willing to, you know, no stone left unturned. Like he's willing to, you know, he's back on the hunt. So he goes through this whole montage of him eventually beating it, and that was actually pretty well written. Like, that's one of the cool things about this book, and we'll get to it with the writing. Like, he's, Klein is able to write video, like, someone playing video games is exciting. Like, you know, Very you kind of get drawn into it. That is definitely the best part of his writing style, is, like, you just find it so, like, he's definitely, like, the things he likes a lot, you can you can tell. Because the way he yeah. writes it are so engaging. Yeah. And the things that, you know, maybe he does it too as well. Maybe <laughs> interact with people, you can tell. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't know anything about Klein, but that's kind of... What? Yeah. We're... And we can cut some things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're getting there. Um, so yeah, he does that, and he gets this coin. He doesn't know what it is. It later ends up being an extra life, which is really... Really important. Yeah. And again, it, it, it 
it, again, it comes back and shows, you know, if you, if you do all the, the little things, you, you don't let anything, you, you do all your research, yeah. eventually it'll end up helping you. It's all about, it's, yeah, it's, his thing is, it's all about, like, the scrappy underdog who is willing to, to do the extra mile yeah. and that sort of thing. Absolutely, I agree with that, and I think, I think that's a really big theme of this book. Yeah, so he does eventually find the second gate after H gives him a hint, uh, and it's this planet where there's a Zork, a bunch of games of Zork, which is this old text-based adventure game, but you actually do it in 3D with the Oasis-type stuff. So he goes and does it, the key uh, leads to, the get he gets leads to where like he's got to go do the uh, the machine from Blade Runner. Like I, I know what it's called, but I can't pronounce it. Um but it's to tell if you're a replicator or not. So he goes and does it, uh, and then that sucks him in, and he plays this uh, Black Tiger game, which I've never heard of, but it sounded kind of cool. Um, again, you get to see another example, you know. Uh, so he, he plays through Zork, which is a text-based adventure, and now which, it's a real-world thing. Well, what's funny is, like, I I played through Zork. I, I don't know if you did, but remember the old Call of Duty games, when the, the one where you're strapped into the chair... If you break out of the chair, there's a computer off to and the you side. And you can play... You can play Zork. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's just like one of the Easter eggs in that game that ended up going into this book. So, yeah, and he goes... Through... The more the more of the possibilities in the world because everything is... A, now it's a planet. It's mm-hmm. a little text-based adventure. Yeah. But yeah, he goes through uh, the Black Tiger game and he gets this giant robot. And when he, that happened, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Oh, yeah, and, and then also in between uh, him getting through that set or the, uh, no, between him getting the key in the second gate is when IOI ends up taking the lead. Yeah. They find the next gate, which no one has done. They find the third key, which no one has done, and so they're getting behind. And it's kind of this idea of he you're against out. the ropes. Yeah. It's kind of coming down to the wire. It's now or never. You've got to get on it. And yeah, so the the second gate pretty much immediately leads to the third. Like it's really easy. It's the star from Rush, the album Twenty One Twelve. I actually really like that song. I really, I really like Early Rush, but yeah, I mean, it, it kind of tells a story. So he rushes off to the planet where that is, uh, and you gotta like sacrifice something. So he goes and finds the guitar in the cave, which is a big thing that happens in the song. But then he goes, "Oh, I know how to play guitar. I'm just gonna sh- play this real quick. Like this, it seems cool." And he plays it. And he plays some of the lines of the song, I think, and he gets this extra clue. Uh, which is basically all about. It ends up saying the last gate cannot be unlocked alone. Like it. Uh, yeah, and so again, I think the first off, it shows you know Wade again because he knows his extra stuff. He knows the song perfectly well, so he knows exactly what to do. And then because he's such a super fan, he's like, "Wouldn't it be so cool if I play this guitar?" Here? I I will say it's kind of one of those things. It's like, "Oh, you can play the guitar too." Yeah. Of course, Wade. Yeah. Because at times it can definitely feel like he just knows everything, but you know. You gotta condense your story to the point where you know everyone can get through it all. And but because he went that extra mile, he he was such a fan and he ended up playing the songs because he thought it was cool. He ended up getting an extra hint, which again goes to show you know if you go that extra mile, it'll end up paying off later. Yeah. So then he goes and does it, uh, gets the goes through the gate, um, and that leads to kind of this final showdown. So the IOI they've kind of barricaded around. Anorak's castle, like the final thing where uh, Halliday's like house in the Oasis was, um, is very D and D wizard castle type of thing. Uh, they put up this big force field. Uh, it was I remember this item. It's called the Orb Vasivox, uh, which I just thought was kind of cool. And a wizard had to be activating it all the time for it to stay up. 
Um, and that that's also another thing where you have all these artifacts floating around, which is another D&D thing, because, like, D&D, you have these, like, magic items that are, like, kind of basic, or even when they get cool, they're, they're still, like, you know, items, where then you have these artifacts that are way above tier, and they're kind of their own thing. Uh, sometimes they're sentient, even. Um, and that's, like, a thing, uh, that's, I mean, but that's an idea throughout the book. You kind of, you have this story about this artifact, and this story about this artifact, mm-hmm. and that's what's coming together. And so, they're all, yeah, again, they're trying to get to the Sixers, go to this last place where it's pretty evident the last gate is, and they set up all these force fields, and there's no way to get past them. Yeah. And so it's kind of this idea of, how are we going to stop the un- like the unstoppable? Like, how can we defeat them if we can't possibly break this thing? Because... It is an artifact. It's an all-powerful item. Oh, we also, in between um, the second and third gate, one of the Daito Shoto brothers dies. That's right. He goes into the Ultraman mode, and the IOI people bust into his house, like, in real life, and then chuck him out a window. Uh, Which is what we referenced earlier. Yeah, yeah. Now, and so, it's again, going to show, you know, the big bad guys are willing to do anything to win this contest. Yeah, and so when when Wade ends up meeting up with the surviving brother, I can't remember which one. It, I think Shoto is the surviving brother. Shoto's, yeah, the younger one. He uh, Shoto gives him the Ultraman capsule, which is an artifact in itself. Yeah, after they did the that quest, um, and that was kind of cool because uh, it ends up becoming important. And also to go into that too, because you're, you're hearing all these things these bad guys are doing, and you're kind of like questioning. If you haven't read it, you're questioning how are they getting away with all this? Well, they live in such a dystopian world that bad things happen so often. Like, when his trailer home was blown up, the first thing that everyone was assuming, oh, it was probably a meth lab accident. Yeah. Oh, probably, like, some, like, local terrorist trying to... Because their world is so messed up, so bad things happening, people don't even question it. And so for them to question, you know, what, to the world, the big internet provider, like, it's like, you know, trying to challenge the big corporation and saying, I, they did this thing wrong. And you're like, they have all the power in the world to say, no, we didn't do anything wrong, and they yeah. have the legal team to stop you. Yeah, and that kind of leads to exactly what happens next. So Wade sees, you know, they've got this force field around the castle, but he knows they can't get in because they don't know about that final clue. So Wade kind of does this whole undercover thing where he gets super into debt, um, changes his name and like through all this legal stuff and gets captured and goes into an indentured servitude with IOI. And that just really goes into the how dystopian and terrifying this world is because they, uh, it's, it's, um, basically kind of becoming like a corporate, very much like the corporate slave kind of thing. He just kind of gets he basically gets to a point where he 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 manipulates the numbers and shows that he's in debt to IOI. So they capture him, but not as Wade. He comes up with his whole personality, so they can't figure that out. And they capture him, and they're like, "Don't worry, like you're, we're just gonna like make you work for us until yeah. you pay it off." And essentially, you can never pay it off. Yeah, because your your food and housing are d- deducted from that, and like all this kind of stuff. And then it's also you know you're not allowed any of the normal entertainment. You have a you're, you're very limited in the uh, stuff they show. Um, and so he goes through this whole thing where he makes them think that he's like normal dude. Uh, but Essentially to infiltrate them. Yeah, so he but can he's get on up the inside because he knows it's all the only night. Way. But he's up all night going through all their systems because he, he got this uh, backdoor sort of um, thing to get into their system. And eventually he's able to download a ridiculous amount of data and then set up. Uh, set up something that ends up going off at the end 
And that's really cool because we were kind of talking about this earlier. That's not what you normally see the good guy doing. Normally you see the bad guy is the one who gets captured and they're able to set everything up from the inside and they go out and, you know. Yeah, we refer- I mean, that's a huge thing in movies. I mean, you look, you know, superhero movies, you have the Joker when he yeah. gets captured and then boom, they break him out. You have Loki, all that happens. And when, when all that happens, there's bad things going on. And because the bad guy's on the inside, the good guys aren't seeing it. Yeah. They're, they're too focused. It's a big James Bond thing. But now you're seeing kind of the opposite. And I, I'm sure it's in other, you know, media and books and movies. But that's the first time I know growing up that I saw. It and I was kind of like, oh, wow. Yeah, the good guy good guy doing yeah, it. tricking them. Um, so, yeah. So then Wade gets out. He kind of escapes this, this whole thing. It's not really that important. But he gets back together. And he gets he gets all the surviving members and is like, look, they have all your files. This is what they have. And Artemis gets super pissed at him because he sees her picture and sees the birth, the, the birthmark kind of thing. And she's like, oh. Again. It's at a moment where, you know, the world could, essentially their world could be ending and they're kind of, you know, teen angst, like, hey, yeah, no. Yeah. And again, I think Klein, you know, one of his weakest points. Yeah. But then Og shows up while they're at the meeting is like, hey, come to my house. Uh, because there's still. You need still... somewhere safe to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. This is the only safe place to be in the world because they're still hunting you. Yeah. So they go, they get out this like private jet, they get out there. Yeah, and, and this, this is where, yeah. this <laughs> is where Wade meets H and it's that whole thing. This was one of the coolest parts of the whole book. And that's something we didn't end up talking about too is when he started dating artemis more he starts growing apart from age yeah because whereas they would hang out every day and talk about the hunt they're seeing each other once a week or once a week once a month and then eventually they're not talking at all because they get into fight because you know wade is telling him you could never have done this without me and then eventually h goes back at him and says well i'll show you where the second key is because i'm that confident yeah you're not i'm not going to owe you anything but now they finally get to see each other after all this and they're kind of you know he and then again like you were saying he sees H in real life. Her name is actually Helen. Yeah. H is not a boy. Yeah. And it goes to show, I think, you know, the big point of that is... You can be anybody online. Yeah. Exactly. You can be anybody online, but also, you know, it doesn't matter who you really... Like, yeah. It's all about who you are, not what you look like, what you sound like, any of that. Yeah, that's one thing you see with a lot of monomyth-type stories. Eventually, eventually, the main guy ends up being, like, the kid of some super powerful thing. Like, oh, that's where he gets his powers. In this, that doesn't happen. Like, everybody is pretty normal. Uh, like, they're just average Joes or poor or whatever, and what makes them special is their commitment. Um, but yeah, so they go, they set up the battle, uh, everybody flies in on their, the, the main guys fly in so on yeah, the giant yeah, robots. The high five is like, everyone, come, we're gonna do this. They show up, and then the Sixers are like, well, what are you gonna do? Because we have our force field, you can't stop us. Yeah. And that's when... That's when the bomb goes off that he had set up, and the whole thing of how that, how that goes down is really cool. But it blows up the wizard who is at running the force field. So then everything goes down, and uh, you have this massive fight. You got the giant robots. You got everybody on the ground. Uh, and actually, uh, we'll talk about the movie. But this is I think the movie showed showed it very well. Oh, yeah. Um, although they wasted their f bomb. Like, you know, it's PG thirteen. They have one f bomb, and they use it on like it's Chucky or whatever. Like they should have used it when Wade is at the interview, and he's like, "Y'all can go screw a duck." That was hilarious. Um, anyway, so they go do that. They they are able to cut their way through and get to the, the castle and the gate. They unlock it. They unlock and it because right they know it takes three. In. Yeah, because they know they take, yeah. And right before they're about to go in, this big, another artifact goes off where it kills everybody in the sector. Um, Which was, you know, referenced earlier. Yeah. Um, and this idea, again, it was it's, it's in a part that talks about Every time anything important went on sale online, the Sixers bought it. it. Yeah. And again, you get back into the theme of, you know, the underdog. 
the big guys have every tool available. So how are you going to overcome that? And then that's when we see it's because for some reason, it's because his commitment. He has that extra coin, that extra life from the Pac-Man game. And so um, that lets him come back to life, and then he's able to start the final gate before anybody else. And so it's finally, you know, because they unlocked with the three people, it's now he gets to go in and he has to beat it. He has to beat a first try or he's not going to be able to win because the Sixers are streaming in there and they can use whoever they want to beat these final challenges. Yeah, that's another thing. So, you know, you're supposed to do this on your own, but the Sixers have this whole thing where they have like the hacked rigs where people can talk to them while they're in it. And so when Wade goes in, the they kind of hack into where they can talk to him too, uh, which is not how you're supposed to do it, but they're kind of like, screw it at this point. So the first thing is to play Tempest, which I have played, and it's really hard. Or I thought it was you really hard. You have to play like, a perfect game of Tempest, essentially. Uh, I thought you just had to get a uh, certain score. But what I'm saying is just like you have to be super good. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to know all the, the cheats and tricks because they have to do that thing where you get 99 lives. Yeah. And again, it goes it goes back to the commitment and the knowledge of, oh, because of this, I know I have to do this part to get to this thing. Yeah, so then he goes in and he does the, the same thing with like the War Games with the movie. He goes and plays through Holy Grail, which I just, that would be so much fun. I will say that that was definitely, like, they could have picked anything else, but they picked Holy Grail because it's Holy Grail. Yeah. But so excellent. I mean, if there's one movie that you, like, you you know, the 80s generation could, probably all of them could quote something from, it's Monty Python. Yeah. Yeah. We are the knights who say me. All that stuff. There's, I mean, there's a million lines in that movie. And so it, it is the quintessential, you know, nerd geek movie that, someone could possibly just know every line of that movie so so yeah he gets through and then ends up you know he gets through first and he ends up in uh holiday's old room and, you know interacts there and he kind of or holiday is there and he kind of talks to him well he has to he so he goes into his, his video game collection yeah, first, yeah, yeah and he has to enter in he finds you know his original console or whatever and he has to enter in the code and the, the hint he has or something like that is you know, it's the most important thing to him. He's like, what, what's the most important thing to him? So he types in, you know, this game, that game. And he types in Ogden. And then he finally realizes, you know, he thinks back to it and realizes, you know, Halliday was always, like, you could tell he was in love with the girl that joined the group. What was her name? Yeah, I can't remember her actual name, but her D&D character name was Lucasia. And so he, tried, he puts in a real name. It doesn't work. And then he finally goes back to the idea and the thought that he was never able to. He always called this girl by her D&D name yeah. because, you know, that's how he finally became comfortable with her. So he puts that in there. And this will end up playing into the themes of this book. He puts that in there, and it's the final code, and he finally, he, he, now he's in the office with his, yeah. or, with Halliday, Halliday, and they have, you know, the big final conversation, like, yeah, you I, did it. You have all the power, you did it, it's all yours, um, kind of stuff, and then, uh, he gets access to this big off button, uh, and he's like, only use this if you think you really need to, like, okay. Which turn off the whole system, all yeah, of it. Yeah, um, and so, which... That kind of came out of nowhere. We never really yeah, hear talking about that. We, what we ended up saying about that is it, it's like they were trying to force this theme upon you that, you know, sometimes it's the video game is not the way, like being like obsessed with this is not the way. But I never really got that from the book at all. I never yeah. felt that the, the lesson of this book was that sometimes you got to step away from the game or step away from this. It always kind of seemed like you have to be more committed and you have to be willing to put in more hours. Yeah, because so. it, I think it boils down to, like, escapism is cool, but at a point you have to go and face the real world. I think was what they were trying to get across, but that, yeah, I agree, it, it never really came through until that moment. And then I guess he tries to do that with showing the relationship that, like, that relationship was more important. Um, and then Wade kind of gets that because after he gets out, he goes and finds... Um, 
Artemis. Or and he's like, I don't even Samantha. want to go into the game. And yeah. He's like, I'm, I just want to be out here. And so he kind of comes to the realization. But again, you know, he finally finished. So I don't know if, you know, the whole lesson at the end is that. But he gets his ending scene. He wins the game. IOI is somehow now they're finally, you know. They're going to be able to be held accountable. Be accountable now that they, the book is ending. Yeah. And so, you know, you know, happy, happy ending fairy tale kind of thing. Yeah. So now we got like kind of what really built this book. So you have the like these video. It really goes into the video game elements, right? Like that's that's what it is. The whole most of the book spent in the video game. So you have the the fights that are very much described in the RPG element. And the way he does that again is like you can just tell his excitement for it just bleeds off the page. It's really it's really good, especially if you uh, get the audiobook. Will Wheaton reads it, and he does a fantastic job, especially at emphasizing that kind of stuff. And there's, you know, just the cool quest, the stories, the scavenger hunt, like, that's so it, awesome. It is an idea that draws you in, because you're like, because we've all done things like this. If you're, you know, geeky, nerdy, and you enjoy, you know, video games, D&D, all that kind of stuff, it's really just the idea of the adventure of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then what ends, what ends up, you kind of have the arc of all the sort of high five characters, is, you know, they start out, they're like, ah, oh, we gotta go at it alone. And then they get to the end, and the gate can, has to be opened by three keys. Uh, and there happens to be four of them, but then uh, Shoto dies in fighting Sorrento's character at the end. Anyway, so they have the three keys, and then it's one of those things of, you know, the theme ends up, don't go alone. Like, you know, teamwork is the power of friendship. The power, the power of friendship, for sure. And it's it's one of those things that now you're starting, like, when you when you go through the book, you kind of notice things throughout, and especially, uh, the ending is the biggest indicator of Halliday kind of realizing his mistake of, yeah. he, he put the end of, not only so it could be three people facing off as a competition, but it really so much that you can have, you know, three friends going in it together and seeing, like, who's going to win, then it's that friendly competition, because he, I guess, to put it anyway, he kind of finally can, he finally came to the conclusion that he did something wrong in his life and it was pushing all those people away and it was pushing Ogden away. And that, you know, that showed right at the beginning when he leaves his giant video game, uh, his classic uh, collection. console collection to Ogden. He's like, and they ask him, why did he leave you that? And Ogden's like, you know, I don't really know. Yeah. And we eventually get to see that there's such a bigger story here or the underlying story was always the friendship of Ogden and Halliday and the girl and how, Halliday wishes he didn't just throw that away. Yeah, and I hate we're just calling her the girl, but I don't have her name. I, I don't remember her name. We can we tried to look it up and couldn't find it. And yeah, and like the the importance of passion too, because that's the whole okay. thing. Karen or Kira? Kira. They called her Kira because. Wait, oh, that's right, because the Dark Crystal character. Yes, that's right. Which I thought that, like that was really cool. I've watched the Dark Crystal. That is a weird movie. I've not seen it. So. It's weird. Or just like the the style of it is very strange. I know a lot of people really like it. I mean. It, I guess it's cool. It's just strange. But yeah, and then pa- the importance of passion. Like, um, they are able to solve every problem by just being so committed. And I guess the message supposedly there is in real life, if you're really passionate about what it is you're doing, then you're going to be able to find a solution that nobody else is thinking of. Which, is, you know, that's... There's, cool. a, there's a quote um, that I always reference from La La Land that, I, that always sticks to me. And it's, people love what other people are passionate about. And I find that to be really true. And I think... Sometimes it's shown in negative light here, you know, like I said, when they're gatekeeping, they're saying, you know, you're not really a fan, all this stuff. But when you really like something and you can express that to people and they can see that how much that like enjoyment that brings you, that can draw people in and people will love to see that. It's like people will watch YouTube videos of other people's opinions. And like, why would you care about some random people's opinion on the internet? Like you don't know any of these people, but for some reason you're watching them and you want to hear their rating on this. 
because you can just tell they care about it so much and that ends up drawing you in and that's how people find all kinds of passions and hobbies that they enjoy so much so i think that's something that with the the book as well because i mean i knew about rush but i didn't really listen to a, a lot of them until the whole 2112 part and then i went back and like listened to that song is like whoa this is actually a really good song um and, and the classic 2D, like, I mean, I, I remember wanting to, like, like, you know, going to play Zork and all these, like, yeah. text-based adventures, because I thought, that, I was like, that's so interesting, yeah. because it really just draws you in, you're like, that sounds like it could be so much fun, and again, because he wrote this out, we ended up doing things that we would have never done. I mean, we probably would have ended up playing D&D. I randomly. think I already <laughs> was at that point, but... Uh, I hadn't, I had Yeah, you hadn't tried it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, like, that's kind of the whole thing, and then we're finally kind of going to end it with... Uh, the writing quality and likes dislikes so writing quality we've kind of mentioned it throughout but like he writes what he's excited about really well he's able to make the writing of someone playing a video game really exciting which is wild like you would not expect that he's not the best at dialogue uh at least he works early on and then it kind of gets worse as it goes on yeah i will say that when you know you get the smack talk between Wade and age in the beginning i did feel kind of i was like yeah i could totally see myself you know talking smack to someone like this you know one of yeah. my friends but then at times you're just like again yeah as it goes along it's 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 more about interactions and emotions and yeah it's not just it's it's not just the dialogue point. yeah it's not just the dialogue also it can be encyclopedic at points sometimes it's necessary because it's something that's like so you obscure. have no idea about so you have to explain but definitely at points you feel like he said Oh, and then they heard this, or they watched this movie, and this movie is about this, and the reference is this, and like you felt like he just copy and pasted it off some internet. Site. Well, and then that didn't end up mattering at all. Yeah, like it was like, uh, I guess I don't know. Um, and then another thing that we did not have when we first read this, and this was something like I I didn't even think about the interactions and the emotional stuff when I first read it. Like I, you know. If I was to get this a rating yeah. when I was a kid, I'd be like, this is a 10. It's not ball out, knock the ball out of park. This is, like, but, amazing. You know. But now you go back and reread it, and you're like, ooh, these interactions are great. This relationship is super cringy. Uh, and the main all, character has, has so many flaws. Yeah, and they're not really shown as flaws sometimes. Yeah, it's like they're praising him for being kind of this creepy guy at times. Yeah. And then also, so I was reading some stuff about this as we're getting ready and about how the reviews of this book have changed a lot since Gamergate. Like, before Gamergate, it was like, oh, this is such a fun romp, that kind of thing. And after Gamergate, people were like, oh, this kind of highlights the toxic gatekeeping kind of culture of uh, gaming. And I was like, hmm. I mean, I can see where people get that, and I can see where people draw that from, because it is there is some, like, gatekeeping, and it is all about being super obsessive. But you have, you know, the first person who even finds this is a, is a woman... You have, you know, the the black lesbian who's his best friend. Uh, and I guess it's like, I guess it could be kind of token characters. I could be seen by that. I mean, it's very much a possibility. But, and also, he talks about the clans, and the clans are all kind of, I guess, what you would see as the sort of big gamer groups that were a big part of the Gamergate type thing. Uh, and he's like, yeah, these guys, like, they're just bravado. They're just, like, chest-thumping guys. Like, it, it doesn't they're toxic is kind of what it boils down to um and it basically ends up just being this idea that and because like again if you enjoy something you should be able to enjoy it. and again gatekeeping is bad don't gatekeep guys always let people enjoy what they want to enjoy regardless but just that anyone can kind of be good at something anyone can enjoy something if you just let them but if you're constantly you know kind of berating them and pushing them out saying you can't do this like what is that going to help anybody that's just going to you know push yeah. people away so good world building world building is great yeah 
Yeah. It, it shouldn't. The world building should be great because yeah. if you have uh, the unlimited supply of everything, yeah, it should be good. Yeah, you should be able to reference anything, which also was really good. Like all the references and the scavenger hunt element, and yeah, the action was really good. It, and then the excitement it just bleeds off the page. And also, we kind of talked about when people in media see some people doing something that's like really, and they're really excited about it. It kind of can get them interested. Which is kind of the whole point of the book, like, right? That's what Halliday's whole thing was about, was to get people interested in the 80s. Which was, you know, Klein's intention of, look, I love this stuff. You guys yeah. love it, too. Yeah. Um, and also, that makes me think of the idea of representation, right? Like, you know, if you represent kind of minority-type people in media, and some people, you know, get overblown about it, it's like, you know, when you first saw Star Wars, you see, like, Finn holding the lightsaber in some of the pictures, and everybody's like... Oh, you can't. Or the no, when he was pulling off the stormtrooper helmet, it's like you can't have a black stormtrooper. Like, just, just know there, there are so many examples of you know certain types of people in the media that we've had throughout our entire history. Just let other people have their role models. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, Get over it. Yeah, and and it's so important because you see someone on there that you can relate to. Like, you see that as the importance of, like... And I get it that, you know, you don't want certain things shoved down your throat, and I never think that's a good idea. But I think that having this character be this, like, this race or this gender is not a big deal at all. Unless, I mean, it, obviously, if they push it too much, that can be annoying. That's annoying with anything. But if it's just, that's, that's you know, because that can be part of someone. It shouldn't be everything they are, but that's definitely part of people. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, you know, your identity, it, it still matters. But also, it shouldn't be the whole boil down of the character. Which is what I thought about H was really cool, right? Because you don't even know her actual identity until the very end, after all the other character traits have gone, uh, gone. You get to know the person before you see anything yes. else, and that's so important. Because that's something I feel, you know, this book is very much a YA book, and this is something I've kind of noticed with a lot of YA stuff when they try to bring in some of those uh, minority type people and identities, which I think is awesome. But the the identity ends up becoming the main part of their character rather than them exactly, actually being a yeah. genuine character. As far as bad, cringy dialogue, especially near the end, uh, you know, like you're talking about with Wade, um, him not like him having the flaws and them not really being talked about his flaws as much. Yeah, again, I think I think it's one thing to kind of show a character and you show them that they have bad traits and they learn to get over that. But I never really feel like Wade was like, well, you know, maybe me doing this was a bad thing. I always just felt that. Maybe maybe that wasn't rewarded, but that it wasn't there was no issue with it. Yeah, um, and then the big off button at the end, like maybe we shouldn't just all play games. It, it did kind of feel out, out of nowhere. There, I guess there were some hints, you know, when you've read it like six times, like we have. There, there, there's some hints of like you know the world's falling a, a, apart, and then there was like this one line of like because nobody actually works on the real world, all they do is do stuff in the oasis. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was one line, and then the rest of the book is all about how cool the oasis is. It was like, eh, okay. So, rating, what would you give it when you were in high school, and what would you give it now? I would have probably given it an A in high school. I thought it was super cool. I would say now it's probably a B or a B-plus for me, because I think I still have... The enjoyment factor is still really high for me. I really like all the factors of it, and I think that can kind of, you know, take away from some of the things I don't think are as good, but I'd probably give it a B or a B-plus. Yeah, I, I, in a number scale, I would, I would kind of agree. Probably like an 8. Uh, when I was in high school, I give it a ten, you know, knock out of the park. It's but, awesome, yeah, yeah. Because but you, it, it, we've also learned a lot more about writing and all yeah. that. So but yeah, now I would probably give it an eight, eight and a half. I mean, it's still very good. It's very fun, and that's it's why fun. I, fun is a great word for it. That's the probably the biggest thing about the book. Uh, it's fun with a decent bit of like social commentary in there with the the 
corporatism and uh, how the identity stuff is kind of brought in at the end and showing like, hey, it doesn't matter, kind of thing. Um, and then just a little bonus because we we like to talk about what it would what you know what this book would make you know it would be a good TV show, a good movie, a good yeah. video game. Well, we have a movie. For we this. have a movie. So what... <laughs> I am so opinionated about this movie. Uh, I think the movie, if it was standalone from the book, like if it was not related to the book, would be a good movie. Like it was a good movie on its own. But when you relate it to the book, it what really pisses me off most about it is this book is all about it's all a homage to D and D. The RPGs, like it all started with D and D. Um, and D and D is only a side reference in the in the movie, and it, it just you miss you can out. Tell they made it for you know a wide public, which yeah. is, is a good and bad thing because you want people to come in and get interested, and then they end up reading the book. But it de- it definitely felt a little, you know. And there was a lot of things like that. It wasn't just the D and D. It was just all the all the other stuff kind of gets pushed off to the side. Like the first gate is some sort it's of race. race. Yeah, that just... was stupid. Like you don't get him on the planet. Yeah, just take away all you know the. <sighs> There's no, there's no intellectual side of this. It's just like, yeah. This, okay, there we go. There's not really a whole big intellectual part of it. There's no, you know, this riddle or that. It's just like, like right off the bat, they're like, we have to win this race. And how do you win this race? And then he goes, oh, you have to go in reverse. But it didn't really, you didn't feel like that was earned, I guess. Yeah. I haven't seen the one. And the going in reverse, that was super dumb. I, I, I love the boy on farm aesthetic of him sitting at the school realizing the whole latin thing like i thought that would have been great Perfect, like yeah. yeah like you show how he is so like bored at school and then he goes and finds it goes to the tomb of horrors and like you know you get this dungeon crawl type aesthetic at the beginning of the movie and the whole Acerac thing with joust like that seems like it would have been such a funny a cool moment scene, yeah, yeah like because cool, like he funny finds his, he finds his, this all-powerful literally like he's this level one character what's he gonna do yeah and then they play joust yeah yeah, yeah. Would have been, yeah you have this moment like especially for people who hadn't read the book where you know a serac sitting on the throne he like stands up and is like Bruh, and like the music hits you know and everybody's like oh shoot he's about to get destroyed and then he's like hey let's play this coin op game you know i think um they missed out on a lot of elements they missed like out, and i think i think somewhere I, I loved that you know again they brought in some more you know uh generalized or I guess more popular in the today's age. Like the second date is all about um, the Shining. The Shining, and I love the Shining. Shining is one of my favorite horror movies of all time, if not my favorite. And I thought that part was really great and how they did it. But I just think other part. It's like they tried to mix the book with modern, like more modern things, and it didn't match. It didn't well. match. Yeah, I um, agree. My thoughts is that it would make a much better TV show. You know, like eight episodes, and you actually get to see it all. It's not just well, let's change this into this, but you actually yeah, it's all yeah. about you know you you go into the Zork world. Or you're gonna see a Sarak and all that, or is that the yeah Sarak is the yeah. is the lich. Anorak is the good. Okay. Yeah, it, yeah, like the miniseries kind of thing. I think, exactly. I think it would have gone much better. Is that? And I mean, think about how good um, Stranger Things looks, and like that, like that older vibe. You know, nineties, yeah. eighties. I don't remember. I don't know exactly what years, but if they could have just done that with this, you know, I think that would have been awesome. I agree. I agree. So that's that's kind of where we're gonna end. Movies like decent on its own, but I think we missed it. It missed out on things. Uh, signing off. Yeah. <laughs> Peace.